I am honored to be the pastor of students and young adults at Wim Baptist. I love working here. I love the people I get to work with. I'm thankful for the men uh, that I get to work with every day. I'm thankful for Miss Lisa and our secretaries and people like that who make us look good a lot. I think I'm the only thing that, I'm the only person that can stutter when they write, but Miss Lisa tends to clear that up a lot of times, and I look at the challenge sometimes in my area, and I'm like, I don't know that I even said that, but I, man, it looks good. Thank you, Miss Lisa. Um, but I love this place. I love this place. I love Wim Baptist. I'm thankful for um, how you guys have ministered to me. Uh, Wim Baptist is a turning point in my life. And uh, I'm thankful for this place. When Brother Don was telling you that the staff guys were going to preach on Sunday nights, he said something like this. I can't remember if it was his exact words or not, but he said something like, he wanted us to share the stirrings of God in our heart. And I remember when he said it, I was sitting right over there, and I thought, man, that's a big deal. I had kind of a sick feeling in my stomach, not because I was nervous, but because the stirrings of God are powerful. The stirrings of God got the prophets killed. The stirrings of God got John the Baptist killed and Paul stoned. And the stirrings of God are things that I have learned as a pastor that he speaks to you first. And the things that he's calling you out are the thing calling you out on are the things that you become most passionate about. To speak the stirrings of God is a really big deal. I want to do that tonight. This is something that God has, has been dealing with me on for several months now. Um, it's going to be kind of, maybe kind of weird to you because I really don't know what I'm doing yet still. But we're going to look at three different passages. The first one is, is Genesis chapter 22. There, then we're going to move to Malachi chapter 1. And then the last one. We probably won't have to turn to. We all know it. We'll deal with that when we get there. I have three points tonight that I would like for you to either write down or, or type into your phone. It's all right if you're on your phone while I'm speaking. I'm used to it. <laughs> Sometimes I get texts while I'm preaching on Wednesday nights. That is not okay. <laughs> Texting me while I'm preaching. Man. I have three points. First, I need to pray. Father, you know me. You know me better than I know me. And I know I'm wretched. I know if anybody thinks highly of me, it's because they haven't seen all of me. But you have. And you still love me. 
knowing that I, I have, knowing that I'm a wretched man, I have no authority to speak to the spiritual lives of your children tonight. But we must all agree that your word has all authority to speak to and challenge every inch of the lives of the children of God. So tonight, we ask your word to speak to the spirits of your people. If anyone trusts Christ tonight, or if anyone's passion is renewed tonight, or if revival comes tonight, we will blame it on you. It will be your doing. We know it is not from the man who says it. We trust you to come. We need you to come. We believe you to come. So come. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going on a journey tonight from the first book in the Old Testament to the last book in the Old Testament and then a little further. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22 first. This is the story of Abraham taking Isaac up the mountain to be sacrificed. Now if Todd, our pastor of children and families, were to preach on this topic, you might get a little antsy and freaked out a little bit that, dude, your children's pastor is talking about sacrificing kids. But I figure with me being the student pastor, I may get some amens. <laughs> so we're going to try it out. Genesis chapter 22. Um, there are some very important things that I want us to glean from the life of Abraham tonight. I want to set it up first, though. Abraham is not a perfect man. In this chapter, he looks like he has some sort of robotic obedience, but he's not a perfect man. Abraham's kind of a messed up guy. He has the tendency to lie. He has the tendency to cowardice. He and his wife cannot have children up to the, or before this point. He and his wife could not have children. And, and one day his wife Sarah brings her female servant to him and says, Have a child with Abraham. Um, and and Abraham says, Okay. And nobody has the wisdom enough to see that that might not turn out so well. And he does it. And he has a child with his wife's female servant and that causes problems and that causes jealousy Abraham is living in a messed up life right now but then we come to Genesis chapter 22 God has promised him this long awaited son through with his wife Sarah his name is Isaac they finally have Isaac and this is what happens in Genesis 22. We're going to read through verse 10. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. 
On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand he took the fire and the sacrificial knife. And the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father, and he replied, Here I am, son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. Abraham had hiccups in his walk with God. But at this moment, God asked him to sacrifice the most treasured thing in his life. And he said, yeah. Not only that, but Abraham got up early in the morning. He got up early to accomplish the purpose, the hard purpose that God had placed on his life. He didn't wait till the last minute. He, he didn't have any hesitation. He said, okay. Abraham could have said, God, I can't, I can't give you my son, but let me, let me give you my best lamb. I'll give you something. I don't mind giving you something, but I can't. My son is my everything. I can't give you everything. He didn't do that. A lot of times when you, when you hear people taking up donations for charity or things like that, they'll, they'll come to you and, and they'll ask you for something, but then they'll say something. I mean, if you can't give that, something is better than nothing. But that's, that's not the case with God. My first point tonight that I want you to write down or to put in your phone is something is not better than nothing in the kingdom of God. Something is not better than nothing in the kingdom of God. What I appreciate most about Abraham in this passage is that he does not have a list of priorities. God is not first, then Sarah, then Isaac, then his work. His list says God. That's my list. That's, that's my priority. My priority is God. God is not first in Abraham's life. God is Abraham's life. And everything else around him is on the sacrificial altar with the knife raised. Everything else in his life. He has the sacrificial knife raised to. I think a lot of times the children of God get it backwards. Especially here and especially now. Our lives are so busy. 
Our lives are so wrapped up in maybe our kids. Our lives are so wrapped up in everything. We are quick to take God off the throne of our lives and put him on the altar with the sacrificial knife raised. Not Abraham. Abraham says God's on the throne. His purpose for my life is on the throne. His mission, his objective for my life is on the throne. And everything else is on the altar with the knife raised. Something is not better than nothing in the kingdom of God. He requires our everything. He told Abraham to sacrifice his kid. And he did it. Guys, I, I, I want you all to hear me say that we have no right to guard anything from our God. We have no right to guard anything in our lives from God. And he has every right to make any audacious claim or calling on each one of our lives. He has every right to. Let's flip over to Malachi 1. That's the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi is a tough book. But it's become one of my favorite books. Malachi is the last thing God says for 400 years. So I want you to think about, kind of imagine yourself having a loved one leaving for a long time. And you've got to write a letter or you've got to say something to them because you're not going to talk to them for a long time. Maybe they're going on a, on a military excursion. I, I don't know, but God is going to say something. And this is the last thing he says to his people for 400 years. It's a big deal. We're going to start reading in verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. But if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is your fear of me? Says Yahweh of hosts to you priests who despise my name. Yet you ask, have we despised your name? By presenting defiled food on my altar. You ask, how have we defiled you when you say the Lord's table is contemptible? When you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? And when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? Bring that to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor? Asks the Lord of hosts. And now ask, and now ask for God's favor. Will he be gracious to us, since this has come from your hands? Will he show any of you favor, asked the Lord of hosts? I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will accept no offering from your hands. For my name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to its setting. Incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place because my name will be great among the nations, says Yahweh of hosts. But you are profaning it when you say the Lord's table is defiled and its product, its food, is contemptible. You also say, look, what a nuisance. And you scorn it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring stolen, lame, or sick animals. You bring this as an offering. Am I to accept that from your hands? Asked the Lord. 
the deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow but sacrifices a defective animal, a defective animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says Yahweh of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. God's talking to his priests here. And they're allowing people to come in and bring these blind and crippled and, and useless sacrifices to God. They're offering polluted food. They're not giving God their best. They're giving basically whatever they can come up with. Can you imagine what that does to the heart of God? Around Christmas and birthdays, you know, when, especially when you've got a bad gift to give, you say, well, it's the thought that counts. If, if that's the case, then, then what are these people's gifts saying about how they feel about God? Have you ever received a horrible gift? You saw it in the box, and man, you thought it was a good gift, and you unwrap it, and you open it. Regifting that, just a bad gift. When the WBC staff has their annual Christmas party, we play this game called Dirty Santa. It is an evil game. I have seen the most humble of men and the sweetest of women turn into pagans playing Dirty Santa, lying, cheating, and stealing. Serious, literally. Everybody's cheating, everybody's stealing. People bring sometimes, it doesn't start with the game, it starts weeks before the game when people are, are th rolling over evil thoughts in their mind about what kind of bad gift they're going to buy to bring to Dirty Santa. They, call, they bring what's called a gag gift. I confess, I mean, I, I've, I've, I've been a part of masterminding a few gag gifts, but I, I have not touched what happens at the Wim Baptist Church Christmas party. It's rough. Um, there is one awful gift, though. This, ga this gift is literally a gag gift. And this thing keeps on making its way back to the WBC Christmas party. That is Brother Danny Futrell. You want to talk about blind, crippled, and lame. That is a gag gift. I think it needs to be framed and put back here on Preacher Row in the hallway back here. I'm working on that. Brother Tommy, you're the, you're the chairman of deacons. I think you can make that happen. But That's the best example of a horrible gift I could come up with. I'm, I normally get good things, but that leads me to my second point, which is something is not better than nothing in the kingdom of God. 
In this passage, we see God confronting these people about their sacrifices. And he could have said, well, at least you're bringing something. But he didn't. Did you catch verse 10? He didn't say, at least you're bringing something. He says, I wish you would shut the doors and go to the house. God doesn't need these people's sacrifices. It shows how they feel about him. He says, I'm a great king. That doesn't mean he's an awesome king. He's a really cool king. It means he's an enormous, powerful king. I am a great king. I am the Lord of hosts. All the angels are worshiping me. And the nations will fear my name. The nations will honor me. I don't need your leftovers. I don't need your leftovers. I think sometimes God's people are guilty of treating God, His church, His mission as a charity. This is not a hobby. This is not a charity. This is eternal. There is much at stake. We cannot give God our leftovers. We cannot give God our crippled offerings. He wants our everything. He does not want our something. We can keep on being delusional and think that President Obama is the problem or a liberal, liberals are the problem or abortionists are the problem or the homosexual agenda is the problem. But if we take a very real look at God's word, he always, always is most concerned about the passions of his people. Always is most concerned about the passions of his people. Does he care about that other? Uh, yes, he does care about that other. But he is most concerned about the passions of right here. If we truly want to see wind changed, the people of wind changed, the people of Arkansas changed, our world changed, God's people need to quit asking what can I spare? And we need to start asking, what's it going to take? What do you require of me, O oh God? Not, God, I've got this leftover. Do you need it? He doesn't need it. In closing tonight, we need to remember that both of these passages point to something else. Genesis 22 points to a time when God would do what he stopped Abraham from doing. He would sacrifice his son. Malachi 1 points to the fact that there was no lamb good enough to fully satisfy the wrath of God until the lamb of God came. Fully satisfying the wrath of God. For all people everywhere for all time. We don't have to turn there because we know it so well. For God so loved. Donnie. Kenneth. Carl. Mike. 
Doug, Mike, David, that he gave his son. If God were to step off of his throne and give one of us all power in the universe, it would not be as valuable as him giving us his son. When he gave us his son, he gave us everything. Grace, mercy, redemption, love, joy, peace, all found in his son. Which leads me to my last point, and that is something is not better than nothing in the kingdom of God. As modeled by our king. He has given us all things. He's modeled it for us. Because Jesus come, has come, there are no sacrifices when it comes to God. There are no sacrifices when it comes to God. There's only responses for God's people. Brother Don talked about it some this morning when he was talking about forgiveness. You are not expected to forgive your brother or your sister out of, out of willpower or, by, or out of resolve. You're expected to forgive or we are expected to forgive our brothers and our sisters out of a response. I've seen my God do it for me. We're not expected to love our enemies out of resolve or willpower. We're expected to love our enemies out of a response. If you were to get up two hours early in the morning and spend time in God's word and in prayer, that would not be a sacrifice. That would be a response to the love that he, and, the, and the honor that he has shown you. There are no sacrifices. If you were to sell all you have and move overseas, that is not a sacrifice. That is a response of understanding the nature of the gospel. He has given me all things. There are no sacrifices for God's people. There are only responses. Ignite is coming up next Sunday morning. It's going to last through Wednesday. I hope you're already planning to come. But I, I want to see us. I want us all joined together. And I want to see us come to Ignite. Offering God our everything. Saying, God, whatever you require of me. Whatever you say to me. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm laying down anything that's keeping me from you. I'm laying down anything that is, that is, that is hurting the church. I'm laying down all of this stuff, all, everything else. I'm laying it down. And I'm saying, God, I offer you my everything. No matter what. It's not a sacrifice. It's a response. If you would, bow with me. I don't know 
where you are in your walk with God. But I do know he has offered you everything. Forgiveness, repentance, forgiveness, mercy, grace, love, compassion, inheritance. He has offered you everything through the blood of his son, Jesus. Maybe you've trusted Christ and you're holding, you're holding on to things. Not only has he given us his everything, he requires our everything. Something is not better than nothing. He doesn't want our something, he wants our everything. Will you offer God your everything tonight? We're going to have a response time. But that makes me a little nervous because response time lasts more than the end of the service. Response time is tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That's response time. Response time doesn't end. Will you give God your everything? Father, we come to you. We ask your spirit to come, God. We ask you to reveal those things that we are holding back from you that we have no right to hold on to. And God, we freely give you the right to make any audacious or radical claim or calling in our lives. Do whatever you want to in us. You are God and we are not. Change us. In Jesus' name, amen.